Welcome to the Hunters and Closers podcast. I'm Dana Haggard, and I'm here to help you fill your pipeline, decrease your time to close, and crush your sales quotas. Welcome to the Hunters and Closers podcast. I'm excited to have with me today Mark Smith, the Vice President of Sales at Wompley which is one of the fastest growing software companies in the country, now serving over 100,000 small businesses across 400 plus business verticals in virtually every corner of America. They are fanatically values-based company with $50 million raised to accelerate their growth. And I couldn't be more excited to have Mark with me. So thank you for joining, Mark. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we'll start out here, like I do with all my guests. What what do the words hunters and closers mean to you? Oh gosh, I wish I would have known that question beforehand. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a good one. Um, well, I in a perfect world they're the same thing. I'm actually pretty uh, pretty intent that the sales world needs to go back to a full stack. Um, there's a bit of hypocrisy in there because when I started a brand new channel at Wampley a few months ago. We went to a hunter closer model, so I have to take a step back there a little bit. But hunter to me is is the person that, along with marketing, is going out and making those initial contacts and really narrowing down the target market and the target customer through a number of things, whether it's marketing channels or telephone calls or emails. Really making sure that when it comes time to close the deal, or actually more specifically, when it comes time to make use of the prospect's time which is, as you know, unbelievably valuable. We, we truly do believe that it's in the best interest of, of all three parties, the, um, the client, the salesperson, and, and the company, right? Because all three of those have to be aligned. Um, I, I personally believe that account executives should be doing their hunting um, a lot more often than they do. I, I, I think it is far too skewed towards a hunter closer model, um, especially in the B2B industry, but there is use for it. And we certainly use it here. And it's uh, it's a great way to get rapid growth. But in my opinion, um, blending those two together is actually the best way to align the interests of everybody involved. That's great. Thank you. We, we lost your video. So if you're able to get it back on, that'd be awesome, oh. but we can keep moving along. Okay. So, uh, how has LinkedIn benefited you in your sales career, Mark? Good question. Um, well, me, me directly, almost nothing. Um, if you're just looking at like maybe the monetary benefit that it brings to me, there, there's been none of that. But on a personal level and professional level, it's, it's actually been, it's been really interesting. I've only been active on LinkedIn for about two years. It was actually a bit of a fluke. Um, I didn't really know people were active on LinkedIn. I thought it was a place that you, excuse me, I thought it was a place that you, uh, you know, you post your online resume and maybe go looking for jobs. But one day I happened to make a comment on LinkedIn and actually didn't even know you could make comments. And I don't know why. I have a hunch as to why it went viral. But um, the first ever post I did went to like 2 million views. And I thought, well, this is pretty cool. And so really what it turned into, uh, excuse me, uh, it turned into basically a kind of a cathartic uh, exercise for me, um, a place to write down my thoughts when I thought that I had something interesting to say or something that I was trying to process through in my mind. And over time, the following just got built. Excuse me, I hope you have a, um, 
cough editor because uh, anybody who knows me knows that my my voice and my breathing is pretty horrible. But um, sorry, lost my train of thought. But yeah, it's it's on a professional level. If there's been a benefit other than um, networking, like the, I really have gotten to know some amazing people, and I've been able to actually help them with connections. And on a few occasions, those connections have, have sort of helped us out. But it's it's to this point, um, I think I've been more uh, external facing than anything. On a Wompley basis, uh, because we are so fanatical about small business, my LinkedIn present doesn't do much for us because small businesses are a little bit less likely to be active on LinkedIn. But what it has done, fortunately, is it has made it easier for us to recruit really great talent at Wompley. <clears throat> Luckily, there are uh, people who like what I have to say and want to work with me, so it makes it a little, little bit easier for us to recruit. Um, there's a downside to that in, in that you, you don't want to recruit people that are just um, fans or think only the way you think. But, but it's definitely made it easier for the recruiting team to, to attract talent. So that's been a major benefit there. That's great. They say, you know, statistics show that roughly 60, 65% of all selling is done before a prospect even talks to a salesperson. I think a lot of that goes to the fact that there's not a lot of hunting being done anymore. Um, but it also goes to the fact that there is an internet and people can go and search and find and, and, you know, do a lot of research before they actually have that initial conversation. So looking back on your on your sales career, if you had the ability to go back and give yourself one piece of advice early on in your career, what would be that piece of advice to you uh, with regards to sales? I think there'd be, um, there'd be two. The first one was the first job that I took out of college was something that I really didn't like doing. And a lot of salespeople love doing it as a, as a pharmaceutical rep. And the reason I did it was because I thought, well, I just got offered a really hard job to get. And I need to learn how to make this work. And I need to learn how to love it because everybody loves this job. Company car, golf outings, vacations. You know, it's great. Well, I, I wish I could go back and just not have done that year and a half to two years. I wish I would have moved on quicker. But I, I frankly just lacked the courage to do so. And also didn't know where to go after that. If there was anything I could tell myself after that point, because really once I made that decision to move on, everything else clicked really quickly. It was that um, I, I really should have done a better job early on in my career, understanding um, the world around me, understanding what my target market even experiences on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, it wasn't until I did that that I started to get pretty good at communicating with people. You know, you can have the world's greatest uh, sports car and, um, you know, a stay-at-home dad with five kids has no interest in that, right? And, um, and too often we, we get really excited about our company and about our product and about um, all of the things that we do. And we don't really take time to understand what our target prospect what they're going through. I think you see that all the way from CEOs all the way down to you know sole proprietorship, pizza shop owners. Um, when somebody reaches out to me and says, hey, I'd love to grab 60 minutes of your time to show you what we can do, 
I mean, I, I, I laugh, like I can give you five. And it's right. not because I don't yeah. like you. It's not because I'm important. It's because I am, I'm working 80 hours a week and trying to be a good husband and father. And no, you can't have an hour. Frankly, you don't need an hour of my time. If you can't communicate your value in an initial five to 10 minutes, it's probably yeah, not going to be a good fit anyway. Oh, that's so true. I, I, and these sales professionals too often just get stuck in this rut where they keep repeating the same, hey, can I have an hour of your time? Hey, can I have an hour of your time? And just, it needs to end because no one has that kind of time anymore. And that, that yeah. strategy doesn't work. And then they get rejected and they become discouraged and they don't want to do it anymore. You know, so it's it's challenging. And I think it comes to training, it comes to leadership and it just comes to education, you know? Yeah, and you see that in all walks of life. You know, you see that in the gym when, um, and I'm certainly not in shape, but there was a time that I was, and there was a time that I, that I, I did know how to, um, how to work out and how to be fit. And you would see, oh, we see in January people would come because of New Year's resolutions, and you would see them going about um, whether it was weightlifting or cardio. You would see them doing it really the wrong way, and you would, you would sort of know you know what, they're not going to get results and it's going to be very discouraging. And they're going to begin to resent the gym and they're going to be, you know, start to, to, to think that it's just not for them. And that's just counterintuitive to, to everything. It's counterproductive. If we don't set ourselves reps up with proper training, proper understanding of the target market, they're going to bang their heads against the wall. They're going to think sales is not for them when it's just not true. They probably just weren't trained properly. Yeah. And they're going to give up on a career or a company or a product long before they really should. And I listen, I failed a lot of sales reps with not giving proper support. I can't tell you how many people, unfortunately, I've, I've watched walk out the door knowing that they absolutely could have a career in sales and my inability to support them at that time, you know, may contribute to them leaving a career at which they could be really good and really fulfilled. And so we take it really seriously at Wampley and certainly at other companies that I've been at to make sure that when we promise rep support, we give them that support. And the biggest failure I've, I've ever had in my career hasn't been, you know, missing sales results or uh, missing quarterly revenues or whatever it may be. It's when you fail to keep a promise to your sales staff that that weighs on you greatly because you affect a lot of people with your with your managerial incompetence. And I've certainly gone through those times. And, you know, when I come to work every day, I do whatever I can to make sure that doesn't happen again. That's great. That's, that's great insight. And I appreciate you being honest because, you know, we've all had it. We all have failures in our lives and, and many of us have a challenge of admitting those and learning from them. So it's, it's good that you're able to recognize it. So, so thank you for sharing that. And that's a good sure. leeway into talking about your style of leadership. I had an experience years ago when I was a sales leader and the executive vice president of sales pulled me in the office and said, hey, I need you, Dana, to be a bull in a china shop. And I just stared at him like, I am not a bull in a china shop. But that is not my personality. That's not who you hired. You know, yeah. uh, so what, how would you describe your style of, of sales leadership? Honestly, my style of sales leadership is is sort of just my style as a human. I mean, I, I tried to be a different person. It didn't take. And so I've just kind of embraced what, I, what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. Um, I don't know if you could categorize it um, 
I think that I, you know, possibly have a like a paternal type of style. Whereas, um, you know, I, I embrace the mantle of leadership. I'm very happy to make decisions. Um, if I need to, I, I, I will revert to sort of a, you know, di dictatorially steamroll people if I absolutely have to. But what I really prefer to do is set goals, um, give guiding principles that matter to our company and to our customer, and then allow them to completely manage themselves and get to those destinations the way they want to. You, of course, add to that, you know, trust and verify, and you have your check-ins and making sure that there's no, you know, core values being violated and making sure that everyone's on pace. But I, time and time again, um, when I've tried to prescribe exactly what should be done, I've been wrong. And so I, I'm much better at just giving guiding principles, giving specific goals, and then hiring really great people to get the job done. You know, we just hired a, a phenomenal new sales director named Crystal Stevens. And honestly, I, when, I, when I give her instruction, I, I half expect her to roll her eyes and be like, what are you talking about, dude? Because she's so competent. Like, she's so good at what she does that I've really had to give her like three directions ever. And then she's been like, yeah, I got it. And she just, man, she churns out work and she churns out productivity. And so that's what I really prefer. And um, I try to keep promises. I try to be try to be genuine. I mean, I like people. Um, I don't like to disappoint them. Um, I have feelings just like everyone else does. And I certainly let people see those feelings. Um, but I, I don't have any sort of particular management philosophy that I subscribe to. I just try to be myself. That's great. Now I wanted to hear towards the end. I, there was a post that you put on LinkedIn, <clears throat> I think it was a, a month or two ago, <clears throat> talking about the, uh, the separation of, of the work-life balance and um, some ideas that you had had and some changes that you had made with regards to your cell phone and your home. And so would you mind describing that to our listeners and tell us what the results have been? Because so many salespeople have a real challenge of disconnecting from work. And there's a real problem today where uh, salespeople are not taking time off because they feel guilty. And when they do, they still are on their phone and not actually relaxing and being able to recharge themselves and they're getting burned out. So can you share with us what you've done and uh, what the results have been? Sure, and I'll try to be concise because I actually think this is a, you and I could probably talk about this for hours, but I think there's a number of problems in the work-life balance with sales reps, sales leaders, companies, families. I think a lot of times companies simply don't um, enable there to be a balance. And that's just unfair. Um, one of the reasons that sales reps won't, don't wanna take time off is because they take such a massive financial penalty to do so. Um, you can reduce their quota, which is effectively saying, hey, you can make less money, we won't fire you for doing it. But that doesn't change the fact that when they're on vacation, they're incredibly stressed about missing the commissions that they, they normally would have made. So actually at Wampley, what we do is we determine your average amount of sales you make in a day or the revenue you bring in. And when you take a vacation, we simply credit to your quota. We don't reduce your quota. We just credit to your quota the exact amount of revenue you would have brought in during that time. So That's while awesome. you're on vacation, you don't lose a single penny of potential revenue. Um, we frankly, make you turn off your phone or your computer and you're really not allowed to communicate with the office. 
And then when you get back, you can still have the same big revenue month or quarter um, if you just get back to work. The other thing that we do, and Wampley does a phenomenal job at this, it starts with Toby, our CEO, is when we're off, we're off. And we really do hold ourselves accountable to true emergencies only are the only reason you should uh, interrupt somebody who is sick or on vacation. And as most of us know, there's no such thing as a true emergency. I mean, it's like one out of 100 things that we think an emergency are. But to the, to the question about a recent tactic that I used, you know, being a husband and father is really, really important to me. And um, I thought I was being a really good one. But my wife was kind enough to, to let me know, you know, pretty directly that, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good husband. I'm a good provider. I love my son. But I'm not really that attentive in the evenings when I get home. On the weekend, sure. But, you know, say from 8 p.m. to midnight, I wasn't exactly attentive. And so what I did is I left my phone in the car and I wouldn't get my phone until after my son was asleep and about 15 to 20 minutes before bed. And um, that would force me to get work done before I walked in the home. And then I would just check for emergencies before I went to bed. A couple of things you realize. Number one, there has not been an emergency yet. There's not been a single thing that couldn't wait till the next day. There was one time where a coworker was in a serious bind and um, I said, hey, I'd really like to help a coworker out. My wife was thrilled to let me do it. Um, what you also realize, though, is there's a ma major difference between having your phone in the car and having it in your pocket. And what I was seeing was when I was home and talking to my wife after I had a 16-hour day at the office, incredibly stressed, and she might be talking to me about something that was incredibly important to her, just the fact that my phone was in my pocket was was making me discount what was important to her because what was on my phone was more important to me. And so it was this physical distraction and this physical diminishment of what was important to my wife. And I found that when I leave my electronics in my car, our conversations flourish. We have so much more to talk about. Everything seems more interesting. Everything seems more important in, in terms of my family. And then when I go grab my phone before bed and, you know, take it upstairs, I, I feel really good that I've, I've given attention to my family. I've had that balance. I've thoroughly enjoyed my evening and I've been able to relax. And if there is an emergency, I can get it done. And you know, I have no problem staying up late to do that. But really, you go to bed realizing there is an emergency and I can get back to work in the morning. And it's... It's honestly shocking to me how much of a difference that tactic has made in my life for the last about three months. It's been, it's been life-changing. That's fabulous. Thank you for sharing that. And it's, it's wonderful to see other sales leaders that, that understand this problem and are addressing it. And I think it's fabulous what Wampley's doing. So thank you for sharing that as well. Sure. So we've got a couple minutes left. Um, tell us about Wampley. Oh, gosh, that's a really long conversation because I love it. Um, you know, our, our tagline is we help small businesses thrive in a digital world. But what I always tell people is that every one of us comes to work every single day with one goal, and that is to strengthen the American small business. Um, small businesses still employs, I, I believe, 52, 53 percent of American employees. It's still a major driver of the economy. And these are people that 
I mean, they live and breathe their business. Um, their failure or success is a failure or success for a lot of people, for their communities, for their employees, and in many ways for our economy. And they've been unable to compete with you know, Wall Street, large corporations, because certain software tools have been unavailable to them at a decent price. And so we're able to, with a pretty ingenious business model and certain partnerships, offer some incredibly robust products to them. For instance, the, the world's first pre-populated CRM. And we can provide that to them at one-tenth of what they would pay with an enterprise-level software company. So it's just, it's awesome. I mean, the people we talk to every day, every walk of life, every level of revenue, every level of employee, but man, they love their businesses. And when we can help them get stronger, it's it's just so cool. That's fabulous. Well, I appreciate you joining us on the podcast today. Anything else you want to share with the listeners before we before we sign off? Well, first, just thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, thank you for tolerating my my voice. For anybody who follows me on LinkedIn, they you know I have some health issues, and it makes me sound like Yoda. It makes me cough and wheeze a lot. But thanks no for that. But but honestly, I just appreciate anybody who's doing these podcasts because sales is hard. It really is. And anything that helps us feel like more of a community helps us feel like there is a light at the end of the tunnel, helps us see that just because the sales job you're in right now doesn't work out, it doesn't mean you should leave sales. You might just need a different fit. I just think you're doing a great service and I, I appreciate being a part of it. So thank you so much. You are welcome. It was, it was great to talk with you. Appreciate all the insights you shared and wish you and Wompley the best of success. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hunters and Closers podcast. Join us for more great learnings on LinkedIn, huntersandclosers.com, and our YouTube channel.